I don't know about you, but I thought that song was awesome. <laughs> I have not heard that song for a while, and I, I don't know if I've really listened to the words like I have today, I guess because the sermon today is on repentance. And uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe we'll revisit some of those words a little bit later. If you have your Bible, go ahead and you can turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. It's going to be our scripture for today. Um, it's only two verses, and so that's relatively short, but we'll be looking at a lot of different other verses on the topic of uh, why God's Son came into the world, part two, uh, talking specifically about Jesus came to call us to repentance. And last week we talked about how he came to serve as a ransom for many. Today we're talking about Jesus coming and calling us to repentance, exactly what that means and uh, how we go about it. So I don't know how many sermons you've heard about repentance. Uh, it's kind of a churchy word, right? It's not a word that we use outside of church a whole lot, but it's an important word for us. And it really is a necessity for us, as we'll see. And so uh, let's go ahead and stand and read our scripture today. We always stand in honor of God's word because it is special. It's been protected these many thousands of years. Uh, and God is due the honor of us standing during the time of us reading his word. And so... This is Jesus speaking, and he, he simply says, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your words today that we have and the words that we're about to look at. We pray that you would help us to understand the meaning behind them, the meaning that you want us to have, about these scriptures and about what it means to have uh, a repenting lifestyle. And uh, it's so foreign to our world today to be talking about this, but it's something that you want us to understand. And it's something that you have given to us that we are to understand and that we are to do for the rest of our days is to have a lifestyle of repentance. And so we pray that you would help us to understand that. We pray also that you would help us to accept your word today and that it would not just end with this sermon today, but that we would look at this and look at our own lives and where we see that we need to do better, that we would do better, where we need to have salvation, that we would accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we pray that you would help us have this repenting lifestyle in our life and that you would do that work within us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the, the command to repent is found in many different places. Not only here, Jesus calls us here to repentance. And by us, I'm including us as the sinners, you might notice. So he's kind of, I think, in this section of scripture that we just read, he's kind of uh, making a point with those whom he is speaking with. He says, those, uh, uh, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he's kind of making a play on words here today because he's 
kind of letting us believe that there are people who are righteous who have never sinned, and we know that's not true, right? He's making a point by stating something that, uh, that really is not true. There are, there are no people who are completely righteous, but there are people like us who have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, amen? We have, we have all done that, and we've probably done it this week. We may have even done it this day because we understand that uh, when Jesus came along, he didn't necessarily make the bar lower, but he made the bar higher in our Christian life. And the Old Testament said that we are not to commit murder, and Jesus said, comes along, he says, I tell you, not only should you not commit murder, but you should not be angry with a person. If you're angry with a person, then you have committed that sin of murder against them. And so this is all the way through the Bible, of course, not only in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the concept of wholeheartedly turning to God or repenting is widespread in the teaching of the prophets. Uh, they use terms rather than repenting, but they will use terms such as return to me or turn back to God or to seek after God. These are all ideas of expressing repentance. In the New Testament, repentance really was a keynote of the preaching of John the Baptist and also of Jesus. Uh, it refers to a complete turn from self back to God, and it's always attached with a note of urgency to the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near, therefore repent, turn your life around. And so we've read the scripture that Jesus has given us, and we have to ask ourselves the question, I guess, why is it so important that we understand about repentance? Well, first of all, we can say that Jesus came to call us to repentance. So that's, that's one thing. That's why it's important. And I would say it's ex extremely important that we understand. In fact, I would say, and the Bible would say, that there is no salvation without repentance from our sin this turning away from our sin and turning toward God. Learning the facts of the gospel story are not enough to be saved, right? right? We can know the facts of the gospel story. We can even believe that Jesus existed and that he lived and that he died on the cross. We might even believe that some miracle happened where he rose from the dead. But unless there is not only a, a change of mind but a change of heart, whereby we love God and embrace God, then there is no true salvation. Amen. Being saved is both a matter of a change of mind and a change of heart. There is both a turning of the mind and the heart away from sin and the world to God. So what exactly is biblical repentance? Literally, the word means to turn. It means to change the direction of your mind and your heart. It kind of means in the vernacular, I guess today we might say do a 180. <laughs> We're headed in one direction, away from God and towards sin and toward the things of the world. And repentance means a change of mind and a change of heart whereby we turn away from those things, we forsake those things and we turn to God and embrace him. I wrote down a definition here if, in case you want to write it down. Uh, repentance is the act whereby one turns from his or her sin 
whether it be idolatry or rebellion, and turns to God in faith. The call to repentance is a call to absolute surrender to the purpose of God and to live in this awareness. This radical turning to God is required of all people. Jesus said this, he says, unless you repent, you will also perish. He had been telling them a story about some people, or actually they had been telling him uh, an account of some people whose blood had been mixed in with these sacrifices. And I think I, I, think I have that in the scripture here somewhere. Let me just go directly to that and read that if I can find it. Luke 13, one through five, let me just read this. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the people were thinking, well, since these horrible things had happened to these people, they must have really deserved to be punished in this way. And Jesus comes back and says, no, they were not more sinful than you. You also, if you do not repent, will suffer the consequences. You must repent. Amen? <laughs> it's a somber subject, really, to talk about this, but we'll find out that it's a grace great a, a source of great joy as well and so repentance like faith in christ is not a one-time act but a lifelong pattern of living we turn from sin toward god and we all did that did that as we came to know christ right if you came to know christ there was a, a period where you believed and trusted in christ and you repented of your sins you turned away from those but I think the point of what scripture makes is that lifestyle continues in the Christian's life all through their days. They understand that they continue to sin. They understand that they need to repent of that and turn back toward Christ. Faith and repentance, I've said this before, are one coin with two different sides. So they are closely, very closely uh, they are joined together in that way, I guess I should say. In fact, I wrote down here that saving faith is a repenting faith. And true repentance is a trusting repentance. And if you go to some of our documents, uh, the Baptist Faith and Message, you'll see in there a statement that reads like this, that faith and repentance are inseparable experiences of grace. And you might think, well, that's, that's old language. How can I even understand that? And it's not necessarily old language. That was written in the year 2000. But it's written very precisely, right? So that we can understand it, so that there's no opportunity for us to not understand it. Faith and repentance are inseparable experiences of grace. In other words, they're like that coin. One coin with two different faces that give us a little bit different picture of what faith and repentance truly are. 
And a saving faith is a repenting faith, as I said, and true repentance is a trusting experience. They are experiences of grace. Now you might ask, well, what does that mean? Well, grace means what? Free gift, right? Did you know that faith is a gift given to us by God? Amen. Amen. I'm glad I heard one. <laughs> Did you know that repentance is a gift given to us by God? It is. They are inseparable. They're two sides of the same coin, but they are also uh, gifts given to us by God. Uh, and I want to get to those scriptures in a little bit. They are a gift from God. Some of these verses you are familiar with, others are a little bit more unfamiliar, but I think you will get the point as I read these scriptures. Here, here we see faith being talked about as a gift from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. And so, if you look at that statement clearly, we are saved by God's grace through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Well, what is he talking about that is the gift of God? Well, grace already means gift, and grammatically, it really refers to faith as being a gift given to us from God. You see, salvation is not a result of works, right? It doesn't initially come from us. God always takes the initiative in our salvation. He always takes the first step. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He takes the initiative. And since we are corrupt and sinful people and we are not seeking after God, according to Romans 3, verses 1 through 10, we are not seeking after God, he gives us the gift of faith. And then we exercise that gift. Here's a, a verse in 2 Timothy that refers to repentance. And it, the first verse is carrying over from the earlier section. And it says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, God is sovereign. Amen. He's sovereign in salvation. And he grants repentance to all whom he chooses to give repentance. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. God exalted them at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. A grant is a gift, right? Most of you know that. If you've had children and you've applied for aid for school, there's scholarships, right? There's loans, and then there are grants. Grants are given with no conditions, right? You get a grant, there's no paying back of that grant. There's no requirement for that grant is a it is a true mere gift and that is what grace is and that is what faith and repentance are as well and so we see that it literally means to turn back toward God from your sin 
It's the same as faith. Faith and repentance work together. The repentance part is us turning away from our sin. The faith part is us turning toward Christ. They, go, they both can be, have both of those elements. But then there's another thing that true repentance is always accompanied with sorrow for sin. It's always accompanied with sorrow for sin. We can get, we can be sorry for getting caught, right? <laughs> we, can, we can feel sorry for getting caught, but that's not what it's talking about here. True repentance, there is a sorrow for our sin, sorrow for how it has hurt us, sorrow for how it has hurt others, but mostly sorrow for how it has hurt God and offended God. Verse nine of 2 Corinthians chapter seven, it says this, as it is, I rejoice, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, not because you were grieved or sorrowed, because, but because you were sorrowed or grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. So at least one of the motives for us repenting is our sorrow for our sin. In the Old Testament, we saw this demonstrated in various ways. When people would repent, they would tear their clothes because of their sorrow. They were in such anguish over their sin that they would tear their clothes. They would often sit in dust and ashes and wear sackcloth. All of these are signs of a broken heart, broken to the point of no longer having pride, but truly being humble before God. And I think that's what our nation needs, right? Our nation needs to be broken and not have the arrogance that our nation has had and return back to God. Amen. And so Jesus calls us to repent. And I'm just going to read some verses that demonstrate that to us and tell a little bit of a story. In Mark 1.15, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. Notice how repent and believe are always close to each other. They're almost always used together. In Luke chapter five, we've read this already. It was our verse, but uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Folks, we have a sick nation Amen. right now. We have a sick nation. We need to be praying for our nation. We can pray specifically. We can pray that God would grant people repentance and faith. Because when I look out, often I see hopelessness. I see people who say, nothing's ever gonna happen, no one's ever gonna change their mind, but God can change their mind. God can change their mind. He does this through his kindness, and we'll read a verse that talks about that just a little bit later, but when we say, kind of throw up our hands and, and think we can't do anything, we can always pray. Amen. It should not be our last resort either. It should be our first resort is prayer. We need prayer warriors. I've already read Luke chapter 13, so I won't read that again. That was about those who need to repent like, unless, unless they would all likewise perish. But listen to this, some encouraging news. 
2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what he is doing now. He's being patient. He's being patient, very patient with the United States of America and the rest of the world. He's being patient so that more people can come to know him. So we should be all about praying for them and sharing Christ with them because God's will is that they would reach repentance. Romans 2.4, this is a verse I was just talking about just a little bit earlier. Or do you preserve, presume upon the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So God is not being slow about coming back. He's being patient. He's being kind. He wants people to see that kindness that he is demonstrating to them. He wants us to point out the kindness of God to them. And when people don't immediately come under judgment, he is being kind. <laughs> he is being patient. He is not absent, as some people would say. He is being kind, kind and patient. Acts 13.9 in this call for repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's really what it comes down to, that our sins would be blotted out, that we would turn from our sins, embrace God so that our sins may be forgiven and blotted out. And so true repentance is a source of great joy. Amen? <laughs> so many times I think repentance is, re you know, you start talking about repentance and everyone gets the sad face. It is a serious practice, right? It is a serious practice. We practiced it together at the Lord's Supper when we come together and we examine our lives together and see if there's anything that we're holding against each other. That's a time for us to repent and to pray and be reconciled. But this is what it says about repentance. Jesus has to say about uh, the effects of repentance. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. We rejoice when we see someone repent of their sins because we've experienced that too. We went through that as well. The repentant life is not one of drudgery, but a life where every day we get to see the mercy of God toward us. Think about that. Jesus died for every sin that we will commit, right? There should be no drudgery in our life. There should be no feelings of uh, lasting guilt in our life. But there should only be thankfulness for the mercy of God that he is showing toward us. You know, I, I think I've shared this story before, but we had a friend. I actually saw her on Facebook today. She's now a cardiologist. She was in our youth group, but she now practices at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. She's a cardiologist. But she once took a mission trip to Romania, and in Romania, they do not call Christians Christians, the true Christians. There, is, there are people who are nominal Christians. You know what that is, right? They're, they're nominal. They're in name only Christians. They call themselves Christians. They don't attend church. They don't believe in Jesus. 
They're just nominal Christians. They just take upon the name Christian. So when these missionaries began to do the work in Romania and people actually began to come to know Christ, they didn't call themselves Christians lest they be mixed up with these lukewarm nominal Christians. And so they called themselves repenters. They were the repenters. They were the people who truly had repented of their sins, truly had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I think that's kind of what we need to demonstrate to the rest of the world, that we are true repenters. And we don't do this in an attitude of pride, do we? Because it's only through Christ and him giving us this gift that we can do that. Repentance of sin should always lead us to a deeper worship of God through recognition of his amazing grace. And I've given you a little bit of uh, illustration on the backside of your sermon notes. So if you have that and want to turn that over, I call this the path of guilt-free joy. <laughs> it's the path of guilt-free joy. Each and every one of us from time to time will get on this path. And sometimes we get off of it right away. And sometimes we kind of go round and round and we don't get off. But as you're looking at, at that, we start out and we are walking in joy and obedience in the Christian walk. And that's where we want to be, right? We want to be walking in joy and obedience to Jesus Christ. But for various reasons, we get our eyes off of Christ sometimes and we get our lives, our eyes back on ourselves and pride enters into our life and pride is quickly followed by sin. Sin will enter into our life. And like I say, this could be an overt sin or it could be some sin within yourself. It could be gossip, it could be adultery, it could be lust, it could be stealing, it could be uh, an unforgiving heart. But pride enters into our life. And if we don't do anything, it just sits there and gets worse and worse, right? It just grows and grows and grows. And it gets harder for us to deal with it. And we go further and further away from God. But he brings us back. And hopefully what happens is that there is this conviction from the Holy Spirit through God's word that results in a brokenness in our life, a humility in our life. And we go to God and we confess that to him. We confess, your word is right. I have sinned in this area. I am now going to repent and turn back to you. And when we do, it's a time of worship, right? Because we look at the cross and look at the life of Jesus Christ and know that he stands in our place and we understand that his sacrifice is sufficient for that sin that we have committed. And we begin to worship him. Don't miss the worship part. <laughs> Don't think that you can just go right back in and start walking in joy and obedience. You may go back into obedience, but it's a works-related obedience. Don't forget about the joy part. Our sins have been forgiven, Amen. ladies and gentlemen. And they are never to hold us down again. They should never cause us to hang on to guilt forever, ever, and ever. Let that guilt go because Jesus paid the price. 
And so our message to ourselves and to others is a message of faith and repentance. Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, this is Paul speaking, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 26.20, but declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and to all the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn toward God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. We're to tell everyone about this, right? Tell everyone that there is repentance available, that they can place their faith and trust in Christ, and they, they can live a different life. And the final verse I have for us today is from Matthew 3.8. Jesus says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you are truly leading the repentant lifestyle, then your life should look like that. You should be bearing fruit. You should be not caught up in your sin, but you should be doing things that will serve God and serve other people. So we're going to close with a word of prayer here today, but we have much to pray about, right? You know, for one thing, it's a little bit of a a learning experience being on this, this path of joy to obedience and repentance. And so I want you to think about that from time to time. I think about it almost every day in some way or another. I think about, is there sin in my life? Do I need to repent of that? Uh, When I start to feel guilty about something, I look toward Christ and he gives me, um, he, he helps my conscience to feel better because he has taken that guilt upon himself. And so we need to learn a little bit and to pray and to meditate on God's word So often in God's word, I'll come across a place where I think, well, I don't really live up to that. Have you ever done that? I don't really feel like I'm living up to that. And when I do that, I look to the cross and I trust Christ for what he has done and I ask him to help me do better. That's all we can do, right? And then as a group of people, we help each other do better. You could be here today, and I don't know everyone's heart, and you may have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so that offer is here for you today. Jesus is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to a new life in Christ. And the way that you do that is, first of all, to understand the gospel that Jesus has paid the price for your sin, and he's made a way for you to be reconciled to God, and that is through his death on the cross. He died on the cross, taking our sin to the grave, and then he rose on the third day, signifying that he had victory over, the, over, over death and over our sin. And now what he asks us to do is to place our faith and trust solely in Christ, to turn away from any hopes of us saving ourselves and turning toward Christ. And when we lift up our hands and our heart and we say, yes, Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe that your sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. I'm going to place my trust in you. Then the word assures us that we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been reconciled with God and we have eternal life. And I want everyone in this room to have that. Amen. We all do, right?
We want everyone to have that. So if you have that decision to make, please make it. Make it where you're seated right now or when we stand. Make it as we stand and sing this last song or come up front and I would be glad to pray with you about it. But you do as God leads you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to speak about what can be a difficult subject and sometimes a subject that wrongly brings people down. This is a source of great joy that we can turn from our sin and that we can rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So help us to see it that way and help us to live a life of fruit that resembles the repentance that we declare. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.